there's a gray towel behind me. Because for those listening, this is in my bathroom that we're recording. Because we're fucking professionals. Don't let anyone know our secret. Yes, there's... No, we have a real fancy studio. Just kidding. Uh, No, so there's a gray towel that's hung behind me every time. And every time, I've just now realized, Marika looks at this towel, and I just like everyone to know that it is a different towel every time. Because I have 12 identical gray towels. And I just want you guys to know that I do my laundry. That's great. I mean, actually, with 12 towels and just one person in an apartment who I know doesn't shower all the time. The other thing is I honestly was thinking to myself today, I'm like, should I get in the shower and like style myself for this call? Because it's just getting so embarrassing how fucking filthy I look every time we see each other on these. Like, I, no, I think about this so much. I was like, again, the myriad of thoughts, the like four thoughts actually that I've had today have been like, I kind of can't wait to go back to work, like proper, like in-house dining simply because I'll have to get dressed up again and like on the one hand that sucks because I don't want to wear heels and like uncomfy clothes and like have to put a well I mean I already put a bra on to go to work but I'm like one second away from stopping that but (laughs) I just think about it and I'm like oh lord it'll be nice to look cute again yeah I mean what more do you want I don't know 12 towels yeah everyone should want my 12 towels (laughs) I can I want to count my towels yeah go count your towels I'm dead curious I think I have eight. No, oh, that's a very solid amount. Yeah, it's pretty respectable. Yeah. I don't know why. No, I do know why I have 12 towels. It's because when I was airbnb my place out, these fuckers would do so much goddamn, like, towel laundry. It was absurd. One person would be staying there, and I'd look down, and I'd be like, how did you use four towels in two nights? Yeah, I would just, like, not allow people to have more towels when I was airbnb my place. Just mm-hmm. be like, no, you get one per person. You're here for the weekend. Deal with it. Sorry, bitch. Not yeah, a hotel. It's really not. Ugh. Anyways, thank you for that. So, we're not talking about towels or my taxes. Although, I guess we could, if anyone's an accountant. Also, did you know that there's, like, because occasionally we look at, like, where people are listening from for this, or at least I I do. I don't know if you do. But if you're from Virginia and you're listening to this, please send us, like, a DM because I'm dead curious as to who you are. (laughs) And I'm very excited to have you here. Sorry we trash talk America so much. I feel like you've had this exact same conversation with this one mystery listener from Virginia. I think it's two listeners. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, yes, today, not towels, not taxes, not even Virginia, really. Um, oh, but sort of. I will get to Virginia a little bit, actually. Ooh. Shout out to the Virginia folk. There was a reason. Tyen aced it, nailed it. Yeah. Um, we're talking about pickles, folks. Pickles. The most, okay. I don't know, fermentiest of the fermented foods we've done yet. One of the least, technically, mm, in some cases. Fun. So, yeah, the gist of this is it's a, it's a mess. That's for you. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome to Pantry Staples. Oh, yeah, this is the podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I'm Emily. And I'm Marika. Delightful. So, may I tell you some things about pickles, or would you like to tell me some things about pickles? Do you have some thoughts mm. about pickles in general? Um, I mean, I have an anecdote about pickles. I would love to hear your anecdotes. It's, I mean, it's not really an anecdote. It's just... Like a small I, fact. <laughs> it's just that... <laughs> no, it's just, I really like pickles. And every so often I will go through a phase of, like, buying just, like, jars of pickles. Love that. And I am what some people would maybe consider a heathen who likes, like, bread and butter pickles. Like, I like them sweet and crunchy. Mm, delish. 
but I also like other ones, but it's like I could literally sit on my couch and just eat an entire jar of like <laughs> those like crinkle cut like little oh, bread yes. butters. So I was in the store and I found these and they were like sweet and spicy and I was like, ooh, this seems fun. And they looked very, I'm not going to lie, I was conned by the packaging. Mm. Happens to the best of us. Yep, bought them home, bit into it, and it was the softest, most Ew. non... Yeah, it was like... It was horrifying. That is not good. Yep. Ew. They were McClure's. Highly do not recommend from this one experience. Blake thinks that they were potentially, like, off, but... How do, This know. is the thing, though, is, like, how do you get off pickles? It's 2021. People should know how to pickle things by this point. I know, and, like, since buying these and having the bad pickle experience, and, like, it was the kind of thing where it's, like, I kept going back in and, like, taking another one and being like, are they all? And then I'd be like, no, every time. So disappointed. This is me every time there's a bottle of, like, slightly oxidized wine, because, one, Ugh. I don't hate how it tastes that much, but I know it's off, but I'll just be drinking it, and I'm like, this isn't good, <laughs> but I guess here we are. But I've seen them on, like, lists of, like, the best pickles or, like, in things. I'm like, no. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think you should try another jar just in case. They were like $8. Oh, yeah. No, then don't bother. That's a lot. I know. Hmm. It's a lot. Would you like to hear about my experiences with pickles? Yes. (laughs) One, the first time I ever consciously remember having a pickle and being like, fuck yeah, I like this, was at my Opa's funeral. So the Mennonites know where the pickles are. Just going to say, it's very Mennonite of you. It's, oh God, yeah. Reason to go to any Mennonite gathering, be it a wedding, a barbecue, or a funeral. Those are the only times we have to pickles. Um, two, I once read an article that Emma Roberts, not an article, just like a small fact in Teen People back in the day, that Emma Classic. Roberts really loved pickle juice and she would just drain the jars of, pickle, of the pickle juice. And I was like, what a quirky, cool lady. I still I'm going to be talking that. about pickle juice later. Yeah, baby. Um, and then three, my grandpa would say, when I would ask what's for dinner, when we were visiting in the summers, he would be pickled pig feet. And I was horrified. Have you ever seen pickled pig's feet? Because I have. Yeah, they're wild. It was the favorite, um, like, childhood scare my friends <laughs> thing. Because the giant grocery store in our cabin in Point Roberts, or by the cabin, um, has, like, there was, like, a top shelf in, like, the pickle zone that had, like, pickled pig's feet in them. I think they were just called trotters, which is what... That's adorable. Pigs. It's horrifying. But then it would always be, like, grab my friends whenever we were going to the cabin. She'd be like, okay, I have something to show you. <laughs> it's I have two points to make, or one a question or one a point. How... I feel like we must have talked about the fact that you have a cabin in Point Roberts, but, like, I don't recall us having this conversation, so I'm, like, mm. shocked anew that this is a thing. <laughs> All good people have a cabin in Point Roberts. Uh, my other point is the only grocery stores, like the main one in Point Roberts, that's when you're talking about, right? That's where the trotters yes. are? The international market. We oh, call it the chicken store because it always has rotisserie chickens and you leave there smelling like chicken. Like chicken. Yeah, and it has those like, they're called like what, JoJo's or something? Like the thick cut wedge fries. Yeah, I fuck with I those. Know. I always steered clear of that zone. That's fair. They have a really questionable wine section and a place where you can rent DVDs, which I'm pretty sure is still there to this day. Yep, I've rented DVDs there from from them in the past. They also have a beer cave, which is actually the best part. Hmm. Where's the beer just, cave? It's just like there's like a beer. It's basically you go into like a walk-in freezer and it's oh. got like a bunch of beer. 
but you could like walk in and get oh, married. Oh no, I know what you're talking about now. Okay, yeah, I was like, where is that? Is it near the one? Yeah, it is. Okay. Anyways, so trotters, pigs' feet. Mm, yes. All sort of pickly things. Mm, mm. Would you like to hear the history of pickles? Please, please <laughs> Let's do. Let's get us sort of back on track, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, okay, so one disclaimer for this, as per usual, is that I'm a disaster. Two disclaimer <laughs> is that the term pickling is going to be used kind like occasionally. I think context will give it clues, but like I will be discussing pickling. I will also be discussing pickled cucumbers i will also be discussing like pickles as either like a fermented thing or a brined and i think you're just gonna have to roll with it that's fine i can handle it thank you okay <laughs> so some facts in your face facts yeah. in your face. um <laughs> pickling was believed to have started as far back as twenty four thousand. No, 2400 (laughs) BCE in Mesopotamia. I feel like that's late, as I always do in these sorts of situations, because agriculture started like 10,000 billion years ago. No, not 10,000 billion, but 10,000 years ago. And just like, what were we doing before then? Anyways, regardless, we have this date. That's what's what. Uh, We have inscribed bamboo that was found in a Chinese tomb from over 2,000 years ago. It is instructions on it for salting, drying, and pickling, which I thought was pretty nifty. Mm-hmm. I tried to find a picture, and I could not. If anyone knows, let a girl know. These early preservation techniques are most likely developed either to mimic natural processes or as a matter of happenstance, which is something I think we see just, excuse me, anytime there's preservation of food done. Pickling and fermenting is something that occurs naturally, like you can just have that happen. Uh, and the storing of foods in secure jars in a cool places, which is typically how we're seeing these first pickles being stored. Uh, it's really just a good practice because of one space and two security. Like if you recall back to our butter episode in the very beginning, throwback, uh, the jars of butter that were dug underground, that was uh-huh. to keep them from being stolen, like in the marshes of Ireland, although right. way later time period, but still like people store things in cool places so that they keep, but also just So they're out of the way and, like, discreet. Yeah. Anyways, that's pickling. The origins of the pickled cucumber is thought to be India around 2000 BCE. So this is kind of where cucumbers are indigenous to. Uh, Then, a little later, we see in the Bible a couple of quotes that I thought were very fun. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. So that's Numbers 11.5. And then second quote, the daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. So that's Isaiah 1.8. So these verses prove that cucumbers had been dispersed along these wide swaths of land. They're not just in India where they were originally grown. They're in Egypt. They're in the Middle East. They are obviously going into kind of Roman controlled areas as well. Blah, 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 blah. Pretty nifty. It is. It is. I don't know why I make the blah, 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 blah. It's genuinely typical. <laughs> it's like, yeah, cucumbers are, are everywhere. Um, Herodotus, Herodotus, yeah, mentions pickled fish such as sturgeon, salmon, and catfish, as well as poultry and geese in ancient Babylonia and Egypt from around 5th century BCE. There is a well-perpetuated rumor that Cleopatra, so this is later, this is around 50 BCE, yeah, 50 BCE, uh, that Cleopatra ate slash used pickles to enhance her beauty, which I found no proof of at all because why would I? But also, I just love it so much. The idea that she was just mound down on a huge jar of these, just like, yeah, gotta sort some shit out. 
So, so like, pickled fish, is that going to be kind of, like, like, pickles what we would think of nowadays, like, in a brine? Or is it more, like, in the fish sauce vein before it gets, like, fully liquefied? I would say middle ground. Mm. Again, the, I think it's still quite solid, so you're having, like, actual pieces of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think it's, like, I think if we made it today, it would be very different in resemblance. Right. Also, oh, my point about Cleopatra was that, like, if you look at the coins and stuff that she's depicted on, like, she's not always, like, the most, like, modern days beautiful woman. And I feel like there was some things that, like, quotes, and again, I didn't look this up, but this is just a, like, vague remembering I'm having, that describe her not as being, like, this super huge, like, actual physical beauty, but more so that she was just, like, so fucking cool that everybody wanted to get with her. And also, like, Egypt, the breadbasket of the world under her control, so that was pretty dope, too. (laughs) Yeah, Nothing fair. turns Roman legionaries on more than bread. Yeah, I mean, like, starving masses, of course. Yeah. Uh, there's also this lovely little rumor that Caesar and other Roman leaders, like military leaders, fed their troops pickles to keep them fit for fighting. So, that's cute. Um, yeah. yeah. Pliny, because you gotta have some Pliny in here, he wrote about pickles in his Natural Histories. The chapter title is... The various kinds of nitrum, the methods of preparing it, and the remedies derived from it. 221 observations thereon. <laughs> He's got uh, so many thoughts all the time. So many thoughts, which I recently been thinking about this, and I'm like, but I have so many stupid thoughts too, and I just <laughs> say them. Like, if I started writing them down, I would be the equivalent thereof. Oh my god, my most recent thought, and nobody take this idea, reverse Titanic. It's genius. Call me if you know anyone who wants to produce a movie. Wait, reverse Titanic? Explain. Yeah, it's set underwater. <laughs> and then they accidentally, like, get brought up, and they, like, are fish people and can't breathe? No. Apocalyptic wasteland up top, and then underneath, submarine villages, basically. They start to fail. Rose uh, dies because Jack won't let her through the door. See, reverse in every way. All right. Anyways, Pliny has to say about uh, salting, he says, to vegetables, it imparts an additional greenness. So they're noticing that this is keeping food fresher. So around the Tang Dynasty, which is starting 1618 CE in China, we see the use of vinegar to pickle, not just fermentation with lactic acid bacteria, pickle like with the vinegar brine as well, uh, as a preservation Uh, Vinegar was concocted from a variety of substances, among them rice, wheat, peaches, and grape juice, which I was like, ooh, fascinating. Sometimes its flavor was enhanced by the addition of such preservatives such as lactic acid, uh, or sorry, not lactic acid, acidic leaves from the kumquat of South China. This combined with the brine to make the preservative. There's also this idea that, uh, like, if you do a quick Wikipedia of pickles, the origin story of them is either it came from this one specific like place in India, or they came about when China was building the Great Wall, which after these past however many episodes, I can't help but just be like, does China want anyone else to get the credit for any food ever? Because I'm flummoxed. There's just going to be like, someone's going to one day unearth like a secret, like, diary of Mao's and it's going to be like these are the foods that we're going to lay claim to <laughs> kimchi duh pickles a little bit out of the ordinary but still um miso I guess I mean oh, all yeah. so far the ones kind of make sense but it's just like okay just they you had a plan you can't have it all I mean they're trying 
But also, how do I know? I wasn't there. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, so the term pickle itself probably comes from Middle Dutch, so around 14th century CE. The word pekel, I don't know how to pronounce it, but P-E-K-E-L, which is pickle or brine, or to related words in Low German and East Frisian, which is, uh, in Dutch it was pekel, P-E-K-E-L, East Frisian it was P-A-K-E-L, and German pokel, so P-O-K-A-E-L. Why can't I talk? Of uncertain origin or original meaning. But probably just brine or pickle. Anyways, so there's a rumor. Let's see. No, that I already talked about the Great Wall of China. My notes are so scattered today too because like a bunch of things are happening. I'm trying to be really concise on the timeline here so that everything you get is in chronological order. But there is a bit of jumping around thematically, which is unfortunate. So then we get to Columbus. He sailed to the Americas in 1492. What did he take on board with him, Marika? What prevents the scurvy? The pickles. Pickles. Uh, and, and, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Was it smallpox? Ah, well done. You got the bonus point for today's episode. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, he even grew cucumbers in Haiti so that he could replenish his stock before coming home because he was that worked up about it. So then there is another explorer that we don't talk enough shit about, apparently. Americo <laughs> Vespucci. He was the man that the Americas are named after. No one's named Amerigo anymore, are they? Not that I know of. That would be an insane name. Where was I? Columbus sails to the America. He takes his pickles. Blah, blah, blah. This Amerigo Vespucci, who was uh, from... What's the place in Spain that I've been to that starts with an S? Seville? Yeah, thanks. Uh, he was from Seville, and he acted as a ship's chancellor before he became an explorer himself. Uh, this basically just means he was known as a pickle dealer colloquially, which <laughs> I thought was hilarious. I it think it's fun. basically just like he did the provisioning and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so then a Kannada, K-A-N-N-A-D-A, not Canada, which is an Indian dialect, uh, work uh, in 1594. The Lingapurgan of Guryulingo Desika describes no less than 50 kinds of pickles. <laughs> By far the most important material for pickling is raw mangoes. Whole baby fruit, wild mangoes, cut slices, or the hard fibrous uh, pit. Some others are limes, lemons, small onions, chilies, caruanda berries, pork, wild boar, prawns, and fish. So people are getting crazy, and I really want to make pickled mangoes now. That sounds amazing. Mm, yeah, it does. I've actually seen like a number of recipes for pickled mangoes. I'm like, mm. like walnuts and like a lot of weird things. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is also said to have loved pickles. Shakespeare peppers, not pickles this place, uh, with references not only to pickles, but also new uses of the word as a metaphor. Mm. Oh, Hamlet, how camest thou in such a pickle? Act 5, scene 1 of Hamlet. Tis a gentleman here, a plague of these pickle herring. How now sought Twelfth Night, Act 1, scene 5. What say you? Hence, horrible villain, or I'll spurn thine eyes like balls before me. I'll unhair thy head. Thou shalt be whipped with wire and stewed in brine, smarting and lingering pickle. Anthony and Cleopatra, topically, Act 2, mm. Scene 5. So, pickles, they're everywhere by, like, 14, 15, whatever. Crazy sauce. Um, you sent me this really interesting article, and I don't really know how to work it in, but I am just going to discuss it around this point because it is set kind of in like Virginia as soon as people like came over and started colonizing uh which was just the discussion and they focused a lot on 
the perceived health benefits of like fermentation and pickling which I thought was just such an interesting focus of having like this health concern obviously at a time way before like this modern concern that we're dealing with yeah um but what I also thought was really interesting was the idea that these weren't just preserves and something that I think I fall really prey to a lot in my descriptions of it is like I always think of these sorts of things and like my description at the beginning really uh, focuses the fact that this is like a, something born out of necessity but this uh, article that you sent me had this bit where it does discuss how these are still like not just a necessity but they're quite like an like a elevated dish in some cases mm-hmm. and kind of a specialty and how like why are we still eating these things if we don't need them anymore because yeah. we like them and they're cool and they uh, taste so good yeah they taste delicious but in terms of the ideas that kind of the english the new americans the you know colonizers uh and that like kind of western europeans had about food and how it impacted their health i have a couple of quotes that i thought were just like too good for me to attempt to explain uh the english witnessed corruption in the organic natural world around them and inside of them for they equated it with disease and death although corruption was the ultimate fate of all human beings they believed they could delay the inevitable by following certain preventative health measures because they also thought that most diseases arose from food, a large number of their preventative measures controlled its preparation and consumption. To the English, foods that resisted decay outside of the human body would do so upon ingestion. I just find it so crazy because we're literally doing the same things now. Yeah, it's so much like, have you tried kombucha? Like, Jedediah, it's gonna change your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways... Anglo-Americans, like most Western European people, believed that most illnesses arose in the digestive tract as a result of eating too much, eating the wrong foods, or eating the right foods improperly. And then they go on to describe in this um, just all the ways that you can eat poorly, like how you can fuck up eating food, which, as someone who thinks that I pretty much nailed it after 27 years, (laughs) uh, is troubling. It's things like if you eat, you want to make sure that you eat the entire meal and then digest it fully and like expel it before you eat another thing. So there's no snacking. There's no like small mm-hmm. mini micro meals. It's like no. finish, be hungry, be done, but also don't be too hungry because if you're hungry, you can release like bad stuff into your like stomach and it'll fuck you up even more. So things like that. It's crazy. So yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's so, like, yeah. It's such was, a good article. Like so I cool. Yeah, I was really into it. It also was really interesting, too, because it uh, looks at super specifically two, like, cookbooks that were published by women in Virginia. One of them can be linked to uh, Mary Washington, which was super cool. Or Martha Washington? Martha Martha. Washington. My bad. Uh, Appreciate you not wanting to call me out on that one right away. No, I totally forgot. (laughs) Yeah, Martha Washington apparently had it. And, like, when they're describing the physical appearance of these books, they're, like, they have, like, check marks on the pages. They have grease stains on them. They're clearly well-worn. So they're used frequently by these women. So these recipes were very, like, central to what they were cooking, Mm -hmm. but also required a decent amount of prep and time to go with it, as well as some, like, sort of higher-end ingredients, which indicates that these aren't necessarily, like, everyday attainable things. So that idea of, like, health being super important, but also a bit of a luxury item within these foods is just fascinating, because that's so what we're doing today. Kombucha costs, like, $12 for a bottle. I'm sorry, I won't stop harping on kombucha, but, like, it's the prime example of this. Uh, We'll get to that later. Um... It's also interesting, though, that, you know, that unlike so many of the other 
foods that we've talked about already in this series, like sauerkraut and kimchi, where there are no recipes for them, like to have Mm. these cookbooks that are so important. And even in my research, like coming across like a whole list of like guides for home canning and pickling. Yeah. Like it's such a difference. And maybe that's just kind of like a difference between like East and West, but it's just like. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely an element of that, like East versus West in terms of the winding down of it. But yeah, it's fascinating, the sheer quantity of, like, telling... But also, now that we're talking about it, there's this uh, Indian text that tells you all these different kinds of pickles as well. Like, Mm. it's hmm, very strange. And I think it also has to do slightly with the fact that what we're looking at here isn't quite as specific because the pickles, like, cucumbers in brine is not, like, it's it's open to a little bit more interpretation in that regard. Yeah, true, true, true. But Mm. I think... Uh, what I'm thinking of, it's more of like, it is almost like a luxury, or like a specialty item rather than just something that's like, yeah, like we just have it with every meal. Like, of course I know how to make kimchi or oh, sauerkraut. that's an interesting point. Huh. I like that. Although I do think that there, and several things to say here. One, <laughs> there is this idea that, uh, again, in this uh, article that I read about like the colonies in Virginia, there's this idea that certain foods should be eaten first in a meal and then certain foods second because of how you digest them and how you want to keep that. You don't want like long extended meals because mm-hmm. then it like is weird for your body. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that they said there too is like pickled foods, like in fermented foods can be on the table throughout the meal because those help with digestion. So that almost indicates like a commonplace but also maybe yeah. that's just, it's their commonplace in wealthier households. Yeah, that's true. Other point mm-hmm. that was made um was in this uh book i didn't read the book i read a bunch of excerpts from it uh about uh jewish people and like Mm. their diet involving uh, pickles and stuff like that and how oftentimes like eastern european countries especially it was really like bland tasting bread and like mealy potatoes that were being served and the pickles would be like a really bright splash of something so if somebody's eating this quite plain like very inexpensive food but they also can manage pickles in there. Like, I don't know. It's interesting to see where they're being placed. Well, now I have a lot to think about. Yeah, um, <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about a little bit later. In New York in 1659, Dutch farmers came and popularized pickles. Again, they were already happening there, but they the Dutch people really took it to another level, uh, especially in New York, which then became like the capital of pickle industrialization. Uh, they sold them in the brining barrels on the streets. Later, immigrants from Central Europe brought their traditional pickling over and created one of the hotspots that we see today. So that was adorable. Uh, And then we have this lovely quote from Thomas Jefferson that I just thought was too cute not to include. You might have read it too. On a hot day in Virginia, I know nothing more comforting than a fine spiced pickle brought up trout-like from the sparkling depths of the aromatic jar below the stairs of Aunt Sally's cellar. I mean, I don't know if I can condone Thomas Jefferson, but that's a lovely metaphor. No, we're not into Thomas Jefferson, but we are <laughs> into the idea of pickles being brought up trout-like from the sparkling depths of an aromatic jar. Hell yeah, that sounds delightful. As I was reading it, I was like, this is so good. Like, Bon Appetit and these other magazines wish they could write that well. <laughs> um, then let's talk Napoleon, who I'm still really not clear who the second Napoleon or the first Napoleon is. I, they're all one person to me. But I believe that this is the first Napoleon. Mm. What was the Napoleon in the 1800s? Well, they're both in the 1800s. Oh my god, who's to say? Wait, you said 1820? I said a lot of things. (laughs) 
Anyways, Napoleon believed the benefits of pickles for his troops were so important uh, that he offered what is the equivalent of today in today's dollars to $250,000 to the person who could figure out how to preserve them for longer times because they were spoiling, which I think accounts to the fact that like one, you're moving them around, you're on campaign, blah, blah, blah. And also the fact that at this point, things are being stored, but they're not being sealed and like preserved mm. for like months and months on end uh, of like that it's it's different use you know what i mean well in any time you've got something that was like perhaps like previously sterile but if like you're opening a jar and like reaching in exactly with, like, your disgusting like soldier hands like you're gonna well, reintroduce bacteria oh and you're not keeping it refrigerated so no exactly they're just like they're not it's not the pristine just like under the sink okay now we or like under the cellar now we bring mm-hmm. up a jar because it's okay uh also just like the sheer amount of stats that are like actually this war you know what killed more people than like soldiers alike like all the illness in the camps like dysentery <laughs> so anyways uh open to death whoa so the person who figured out how to properly preserve them was a gentleman a confectioner named nicholas apart in 1809 he figured out that if you remove the air from a bottle and boiled it the food wouldn't spoil he didn't necessarily understand the science behind this. That would be solidified later by Mr. Pasture in the 1860s, as in pasteurization. Uh, so pretty cool. That's the start of like a more kind of industrialized use. So around the 1850s is when we see the invention of two very important home canning aids. Uh, the mason jar that was developed by John Mason and paraffin wax used to create a seal for preserving food in jars invented by James Young. Also, sometimes they try and sell me for my feet, but that's fine. In 1881, Alfred de Bernardine invented the first metal tops to be used in commercial canning. So, you know, end of the 1800s, we're starting to see some real progress being made. People are doing this stuff professionally now. You can still get those Bernardine lids. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I have some in my house at some point. Yes. Like, they're the commonplace ones, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, they're the ones, yeah. Everyone sees them. Mm. Yeah. And we all know what a mason jar is because hipsters have not let us forget. They're just very convenient. They are very convenient. I hate it. Uh, In the 1820s, it came to light that certain companies would mess with their products in terms of this industrialization. So a treatise on adulterations of food and culinary poisons exhibiting the fraudulent sophistications of bread, beer, wine, spiritus, liquors, tea, coffee, cream, confectionery, vinegar, mustard, pepper, cheese, olive oil pickers, and other pickles, I can't even talk, uh, and other articles employed in domestic economy and methods for detecting them was published by chemist Frederick Ackham. It opened consumers' eyes to the possibilities that common household ingredients were tampered with during production in order to improve their appearance or lengthen their shelf life. Basically, pickles were treated with copper to brighten their color, which is horrifying. Uh Uh, then, later, we have one of my, like, I'm, I'm sure he's the terrible, awful person, but someone who I'm, like, a little bit obsessed with in the food world, Henry Hines. He lobbied for new food safety regulations so his competitors could no longer sell similar products to his uh, with dangerous additives, even sending his son to meet with lawmakers in Washington, D.C. He, his efforts were hugely important. Uh, they led to the creation of the Pure Food and Drug Act, which passed on June 23rd, 1906. And eventually the creation of the FDA. So, Heinz has a lot on the go. Which is hilarious because we have Heinz little mini ketchups at work. And uh, they all have, like, black scum in them. So, irony, y'all. I mean, (laughs) he's dead now, so. 
Yeah, it's not his problem. Yeah. Um, anyways, another kind of cool thing that he did in the at the Chicago World Fair in 1893, Heinz had kind of an out of the way little booth. So to get people to come stop by, he had like a bunch of boys run around handing out pickle pins. Oh, cute! Yeah. Uh, and it was wildly successful. He did this at like a bunch of world fairs after, and it's still something you can get to this day. Like it's still like a cute little marketing tactic. So that was adorable. <laughs> I know. Uh, anyways, then we get to World War II. The U.S. government rationed pickles. Forty percent of the nation's product uh, production of pickles went to the armed forces. The stuff that was rationed for World War II will never cease to shock me. Like it's, it's the most like crazy. pickles and ice cream. Like were they all pregnant? <laughs> yes they all were <laughs> pregnant with the hopes and dreams of their countries Marika good lord pouring out for the troops I died um, all with all of them. <laughs> in uh, 1948 the trade organization Pickle Packers International which was founded in 1893 they launched International Pickle Week so there we have it I have done no research after that and don't care about anything else well I mean it's good I mean not good but it's good that you went <laughs> that far up because I did not. I yeah. When you sent me the uh, article, being like, I don't know if I'm going to get to this, and it was like early col- colonial shit. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. <sighs> you know, okay, all I want to do is like nothing, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyways, tell me all about your stuff. Let's go. Yes. Okay. So, as per what is now my new usual, nothing <laughs> I'm saying really has anything to do with pickles. <laughs> Okay, that's not true. It has some things to do with pickles. You touched on Jewish delis in New York, which mm-hmm. I think is very fun. It's, and it's super interesting. Fun. Yeah, they're great. Like the whole like deli culture is fascinating because it's so like competitive. <laughs> it's interesting that you were talking about the Dutch mm. immigrants bringing pickles over because anything that I read was like, nope, it was all the Germans. I think Germans and the Dutch are interchangeable in my mind. Well, this goes back to the whole Pennsylvania-Dutch situation, Mm -hmm. which we don't have time to revisit. I don't think I made that mistake of thinking, like, the Pennsylvania-Dutch were, like, the same as the Dutch. I don't think so, because it did specifically say that. And also, I'm linking it to that 14th century translation of the word pickle from uh, Middle Dutch. So I think that it was, like, a huge cultural thing for them, too. But anyways, I digress. Well, anyways, so, but delicatessens... Because delicatessen is a German word that roughly translates to eat delicious things, which is Aww. the most adorable. Occasionally German words really hit the nail on the head, hey? That's the thing. When you have, like, a language that's just, like, combining different words, which is the only way that I actually speak, mm. it works. It works. How um, does any of us speak that are not doing that? No, but I always want to, like, portmanteau things. Oh, yeah. You do. <laughs> Love a portmanteau. Continue. Yeah, the best. Um, so delicatessens first popped up in New York in the mid to like late 1800s. And yeah, they were mostly run by German immigrants who at the time made up the largest immigrant population in the city and possibly the country based on the article that I was reading. But ooh, definitely like 1800s, New York was like so much, so many Germans. When Yiddish-speaking Jewish immigrants arrived in New York, they understood the word delicatessen and the business model, I guess because like Yiddish and German are linguistically similar. Hmm. And then they opened up kosher delis, which sold like the similar kind of like smoked fish, prepared meats, and pickles, 
but like obviously not pork because they're kosher and you can't eat pork. Yep. So, but it was actually ended up working out really well because in the States there's a lot of beef, which you can eat beef if you're kosher. So then that's where we get brisket and pastrami. Really? Yeah. So pastrami takes corned beef, which isn't necessarily like a Jewish or like a kosher food. Like it's just like people have been corning beef for years. (laughs) (laughs) They have like a preserving. It's brined. It's brined. So I'm allowing myself this tangent. I literally was like, I'm not going to ask what corned beef is because we need to stay on topic. But I straight up don't know. No. So yes. Okay. So pastrami is corned beef, but it's like smoked. So that's Mm kind of fun. Um, but you could kind of consider them both pickles because yes, they are brined. So corned beef to go down this tangent, it doesn't refer, like, I always thought that it was like a process through which they like extrude it. Cause it usually comes in those like weird, like, mm. I don't actually think I've had corned beef. Why are we learning that I've had so few foods on this podcast? I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, uh, off brand for you. It is very off brand. But anyway, the corns refers to, like, the kernels of, like, pepper and, like, spices and oh. stuff that you put in the brine. And I think it, maybe it's the corn salt. I watched, like, a Martha Stewart thing on That's Rubens, so like, years ago. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. So it's brined, which is very cool that you've got, like, a sandwich, like, a pickles. pastrami sandwich. Yeah. Huh. My delis gained their staying power by offering excellent food but also being cultural touchstones of what we have come to consider quintessentially New York Jewish. Mm. So it's like, you've got the kind of like wise cracking ac- accented staff that are kind of insulting, but like in a way where you're like, ah, it is such a really like warm, lovely stereotype, which I know that's problematic, but like it does give you the nice feels. I, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. Cause it's just like, it's like, what did come first? Like, is this how people actually were? Or is it just, like, a fictitious... The pickle like, in the pickle jar. I know. Like a deli Disneyland. I also read that you can do a walking tour of the Lower East Side put on by the New York Tenement Museum, which sounds super cool. That does sound cool. What do you see in this tour? Well, so I think they have a bunch, but the one that I read about was, like, a food walking tour. Yeah, so it's like they go to all these things. So it's like they start with like pretzels, and then they go to pickles. Fuck yeah, this sounds delightful. Yeah, so cool. And it's just like, I mean, the article, because obviously these people who work in the museum are like, food is history, which is what we're always talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't take it out of it. And I think it's just like so cool, like especially where it comes to immigrants, especially in a city like New York. Mm -hmm. And then like sticking with like Jewish people in Jewish delis Jewish immigrants purposefully went to like different restaurants apparently when they like arrived in America to expand their palates and broaden like their like the restrictions of kosher foods Hmm. as like a way of like kind of like not assimilating but like getting used to the new city I guess that's like I mean I don't want to say that's a pretty typical thing to do but like you're in a new place you go eat the new things yeah I think it's really cool because I think especially since like a lot of kind of more conservative views about like immigrants is that they only stick and do only do their own thing. It's like, no, like they're trying. Like they're I feel like, like that's a bullshit take, but anyways. Well, exactly. And I think that like, yeah, New York Jews are a perfect example. And mm. Chinese food and Chinese mm. restaurants played a huge role in this because they were open on Sundays when like Jews typically ate out, which is like, who would even think of that? 
Also, just, like, the whole stereotype of, like, Jewish people ordering Chinese food on Christmas. I feel like that's a thing, right? Yeah, totally. Love it. Yes, it's fun. I mean, it makes sense. It's like nothing else is open. (laughs) Yeah. Just those hardworking Chinese folk trying to co-opt as many dishes and feed as many people as possible. Yeah, great. God bless them. I'm here for it. Yeah, same. (laughs) How about this insanely, I think it's insanely fun, study done in 2019 where these people took a bunch of, like, old canned goods from some, like, lady's basement and then tested them to figure out, like, the volatile compounds in these, like, historical preserved foods. I love it! Yeah, so they just were just like, I don't know, I can't, it was, this woman, I guess, was related to, like, the museum, and I should have written down the town, but I didn't. It's, like, middle America. And her mother had, like, canned and pickled a bunch of stuff from, like, the 1950s. Like, 1950 to 53, I think is when it was. Hmm. And then just, like, kept them in her, like, earthen cellar. Yes. For years. Some of the jars were labeled. Some weren't. They determined what was in each sample through smell and taste tests. (laughs) The number one rule of science. If you don't know what it is, just shove it in your mouth. Yeah. They were so casual in mentioning this in this article. They were just like, yeah, like, you know, we figured out. <laughs> it was like some of the samples, they were basically just like, we're pretty sure that like these was what they are. And the, some of the ones that they weren't 100% sure of were apricots. Ooh. Okay, like fine. Yeah. Crab apples. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Like probably, you know, that might be a bit of a shock. But then the, the, the other one, head cheese. Well. Like 70 year old head cheese and being like hmm best put it in my maybe mouth. it's pickled what if it's gone off like that's how you could die i mean i guess they took the ones that like weren't gross looking but but still i don't think you can always tell with botulism no or head cheese yeah also i'm i know i've told you this story before but i have to bring it up every single time somebody brings Please. up like checking if canned food is good flinders petrie the father of uh pottery sherds in egyptian study and he basically invented the chronology of uh look, looking at the pottery like you can tell when it's dated from because of his work on dig sites was super cheap buried the fucking cans of food then would come back the next season and to test if they were still good would throw them at a wall if they didn't explode you had to eat them I guess if you're going on a dig with you just, like, bring food, because you're like, I can't, like, we go. Yeah, you have to prepare for this lunatic's decisions. <sighs> Archaeologists. Yeah, I don't fuck with them. Um, so some of the fun findings that these fun archaeologists, I guess, <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're the more, like, chemists, I guess, because they're interested in, like, the gases and, like, chemical compounds. Just the straight-up so, lunatics that were let loose into a cellar. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like one of the coolest things was like actually so then they tested kind of like as a control they took like normal just like store-bought like Vlasic pickles and like maraschino cherries and just tested them and the pickles that they found from the cellar were like actually like pretty similar in terms of like compounds and like chemical stuff which is I think pretty cool which shows just how well that's crazy like pickles (laughs) yeah and again just like we had this conversation again during the butter episode of like that whole like as soon as things start to industrialize we start to push back against homemade things more like not we but the industrialization does Mm -hmm. and then it gives everybody like this real fear of like homemade stuff 
Yeah, I mean, like, there's, like, like as long as you're taking the precautions, like, yeah, like, if you're going to pickle things or do canning, like, you need to go through the proper, like, sterilization and make sure that things are sealed properly. Just don't be a dummy. Yeah, just, like, read about it for five seconds. Yeah. Or, like, anyways, an hour. Yeah. But the most, <laughs> the thing that's actually super cool about this was that they found BPAs. What's BPAs? This is dummy. BP, like, the plastic compound, like, it's <gasps> a... Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toxic compounds that everyone thought would be safely contained in the plastic because they were first introduced in like 1950. That's so crazy. So this study basically proves, I mean, doesn't like fully prove, but it proves what we already kind of knew, which is that like, yeah, this stuff like leaches out. And so it was all like in the plastic, like ceiling, like lids. Wow. Yeah. Love that for us. Well, while we're here, we should talk about BPAs because I feel like it was like a big thing, I don't know, 10 years ago when everyone was like, BPAs, and now all plastic has like BPA-free stuff. Mm. I feel like when you say BPAs, the only thing I can think of is I'm pretty sure it's a line in a Jay-Z rap. (laughs) But I think that it also might be like BPAs and plastic, but I also feel like it's British petroleum and it links to the spill in his work. Please continue. Yes. Well, okay, BPA is bisphenol A, which is a chemical building block used to make hard, clear plastics and epoxy resins usually found specifically in, like, food cans. So as of one article from 2010, quote, Nearly every canned food and beverage product on the market today contains some doses, although tiny, of BPA in its lining. It has been linked to heart disease, diabetes, and birth disorders. Canada was the first country to declare BPA a toxic substance and add it to the toxic substances list of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. Good Which, like, yeah, it is. But, like, basically we just, like, regulate the hell of it. In the States, they're still kind of working on that. So, like, according to the FDA website, their current perspective is that, quote, BPA is safe at the current levels occurring in foods. Based on FDA's ongoing safety review of scientific evidence, the available information continues to support the safety of BPA for the currently approved uses in food containers and packaging. So, like, I don't want to say that they're wrong because, like, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Seems pretty wrong, though. It's just, like, I don't know. Is it really that hard to just not have it in stuff? It's so interesting, and, like, I don't think this is the same thing, but just, you know, when you go to, like, the States, and they have that thing, like, this might contain, like, something that could cause, like, damage to pregnant women and children or whatever, and it's like, yeah, they're still just putting lead in shit willy-nilly. Why? Why do you need to do that? Because the companies could lose a small amount of money if we didn't. Oh my god, you're right, it would be a fucking tragedy. (laughs) Uh, Um... Speaking of uh, Napoleonic soldiers and their Mm. pregnancy cravings. (laughs) Let's hear more about that, please. I read an article that was all about cravings. And, like, specifically with, like, pregnancy and then also, like, PMS. Mm. And it was titled Pickles and Ice Cream, but they, like, barely mentioned pickles. But it's still extremely interesting. Rude, but yes, continue. Yes. (laughs) I feel like I just need to, like, explain all of my, like, why I'm I'm just telling you you random You do whatever. Um, I'm okay, here for so, a good time. Great. And it has semi long time. <laughs> yeah. 
We're here for a good time and a long time on this podcast. Short time on this earth, long time on this podcast. Yes, about an hour and 15 minutes probably. Um, So although societally we often pass off food cravings as frivolous, studies have shown that they can be a serious indicator of disordered eating in like much the same way as like strong urges for alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs can be and it can signify relapses with those addictive substances huh i was going to interject before you said the Mm. second half of that sentence uh there was this book that i read as a kid called my side of the mountain and in it the protagonist like runs away from home and goes and lives in a tree in the wilderness (laughs) and in the winter he like craves liver really badly because and he's like i don't even like liver this is so weird to be like eats a bunch of liver and then afterwards he realizes he's like oh yeah it's because i hadn't any like vegetables in a while and so like the vitamins that I was getting from that I needed to get from the livers. So I thought you were going to go like, yeah, they're an indicator of what like our body needs like health wise. Um, basically this, this one, this one article that I read is like, nah, that's fake. Fascinating. Yeah. So, um, first of all, the whole like women crave chocolate when they're about to get their period thing is like kind of real and has definitely been studied pretty extensively while pregnancy cravings which is like also a big like trope especially in like i don't know movies and tv it's always like i'm eating like pickles and peanut butter like weird but it's been like a lot less studied um survey studies have found that the most commonly craved foods during pregnancy include sweets especially ice cream starchy carbohydrates fruits and fast food a 1992 survey of pregnant teens reported specific cravings for fruit ice cream, pickles, and pizza, which is the only reference to pickles. <laughs> Do you not feel like sort of part of it is that like now that society's expectations of you like looking thin and hot have gone, you're just like, fuck it, I'm pregnant. I'm just going to get fat and eat all the things I want. Like, I feel like it's totally psychological as opposed to anything else. That's exactly what it is. Well, I'm a genius. I already know. You're that. a genius. Um, so yes. So the evidence that this article has is basically like they're totally cultural constructs. They vary widely around the world. So, like, women in Mm. Japan crave rice instead of, like, chocolate. And then in Spain, 90% of men report chocolate cravings compared to 78% of women, which is, like, so different from the U.S., where women crave chocolate or, like, report craving chocolate almost twice as much as men. And it's so interesting how so many foods become so gendered like that. Like... (sighs) Chocolate is so feminized in all of its advertising. I feel like it's very specifically designed. Weird. Absolutely. And it's like, it's totally a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And it's all linked, like, especially cravings and this idea of, like, a forbidden food. Mm -hmm. So they've, we've seen that, like, efforts to avoid crave foods actually only increases the likelihood of cravings. Mm -hmm. So it's like... It's that whole kind of, like, taboo, like, forbidden thing. Like, the more that you try and get away from it, the more More you're just going to think about it more. Yes. So the paper that I read proposes that food cravings are not actually caused by pregnancy or PMS, but rather those two instances offer culturally validated permission to indulge. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, you're rebelling against the kind of cultural norm of a thin ideal. So, like, yeah, in other words... I'm already gaining weight due to pregnancy. I may as well give in to my cravings. I love that they've created that, like, space for that during PMS, though. Like, who was the genius woman who was like, I'm PMSing, I need my chocolate. And now everyone's like, no, no, it's a fact, we need it, it's official. 
it's always about giving yourselves those permissions. Like when you Mm. create, like with any diet, like you kind of have to create those like cheats for yourself. Totally. Everything's about finding a loophole in life. Totally. Well, and this whole article like really goes into like how like diets and like all of the things where it's like people who maintain like stricter diet regimens are actually much more likely to like have really intense cravings and gain a lot of weight during pregnancy or have like really disordered eating. Cause like, Jessica Simpson is the perfect example. (laughs) That bitch had to stay on such a tight diet for her Daisy Dukes film. I'm still so mad about how we all just ruined her life for a hot second there. We're sorry, Jessica Simpson. Uh, And then she got pregnant. She's like, fuck that. I'm going to eat everything in sight. Good for you, girl. Good for you. Except not because like in the Canada, in Canada and the U S we have like this thing where it's seen almost as like a moral obligation to overeat when pregnant. The whole like, eating for Mm. two it's like well I have to eat a lot because like I'm eating for two and it's like no just like eat like normal (laughs) and then like the problem like it's it seems like it's fine like whatever like just do what you want like live your life like why are we concerned about being thin except that there's been a sharp rise in gestational weight gain yeah and like that can lead to like gestational diabetes yeah and potentially be even more harmful to the mother and the baby than like being too thin while you're pregnant Oof. being pregnant sounds like such a disaster no you're <laughs> totally right that's a dip bad time i just want jessica simpson to get to do whatever the fuck she wants yeah she should be able to be happy and not like be restrained by ideals you mentioned uh what's her name emma roberts drinking pickle juice how do you feel about pickle juice i love pickle juice i don't what want do to drink say? it but like i enjoy it like, you know, when you do a pickleback, that's delicious. Okay, well, I have different thoughts on picklebacks. I think that they're gross. They are, but, like, in a super fun, delicious way. Although, here's the actual thing about picklebacks in me. I feel like I'm not, I'm more mad at, like, having to do a shot of, like, disgusting Jameson than at having that's to chase That's a real issue. Like, I'd rather do, like, tequila and then a pickle juice. Or, like, vodka. I think that's delicious. Yeah, that'd be good. Nobody should ever do shots of vodka. It's a fucking waste of time. I just feel like vodka's a waste of time in general. Now I just want to make, like, a pickle juice margarita. That sounds fun. That sounds real good. Well, I have pickled jalapenos (laughs) in my cupboard. Oh, I'm going to make a margarita with that. Ooh, that's fun. Um, Okay, however, the reason I'm bringing up pickle juice, because apparently some sports trainers believe that drinking pickle juice will help alleviate exercise-associated muscle cramps. I briefly read this. 35 seconds after consumption. (laughs) That's dumb as hell. It's so dumb. So the whole thing is like, so the theory theory behind it is that like cramps are thought to be caused by fluid and electrolyte loss. And then because pickle juice contains sodium and like obviously fluids, it is thought to do the same thing or maybe work even better than like electrolyte enhanced sport drinks, i.e. Gatorade. Well, I think it's probably better than Gatorade in that it doesn't have a whole bunch of chemicals in it. Well, I read a study from 2009 Hmm. that tested pickle juice against carbohydrate electrolyte drink, Hmm. a.k.a. Gatorade, and just, like, regular tap water, Hmm. and the answer is no. (laughs) It's completely fictitious. It's not better, but is it equivalent thereof? Are, like, they both the same? It, all of it literally did nothing. So yeah, neither the pickle juice sense. nor the sports drink had any effect on, like, the participants' plasma Ugh. electrolytes. <laughs> and 
their conclusion is that like any anecdotal cure seems to be either like psychosomatic or related to like some other factor that like they couldn't account for. That seems very on brand, yes. But it will not explain why I feel better after having a Gatorade when I'm hungover. Well, I think that's fine, but it's just like it's not like it's gonna like it's just because you're drinking water <laughs> and like getting fluids. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's like you'd that's feel right. the same if you drank like two like a big thing of water. But it's easier to, to drink. Take my like, hamster sips. And then the other thing, like with a Gatorade, is like, yes, you've got like the very handy, like little That's exactly what I'm thinking is the good part of it. And then I think like in that instance, like the fact that you are getting salts helps you absorb more water from when you're actually like drinking mm. water in Makes addition sense. to the Gatorade. Which is also apparently why like eating salty foods when you're hungover helps, because it's like it's getting you to absorb more of the water. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. So, the McDonald's breakfast sandwich and hamster sips of water cure remains un- undisproven. <laughs> hamster sips. I don't know, maybe you should try pickle juice next time. Well, alright, you've convinced me. Oh, but now all I'm know. thinking is I'd have a pickle juice margarita instead, and it's like, no, that's just causing more of a fucking problem. <laughs> I, I mean, I well, guess... the dog? Hair the dog, whatever, whatever. I love that phrase. It's so yes. terrible, but so good. Anyway, that's, that's like, literally all I had. <laughs> well, that's great. We're coming in at just over an hour when you edit this down, or it's a reasonable length. I know, it's going to be so, like, shrimpy. Um, any other, like, fun pickle anecdotes? I never, here's the thing, I never think to buy pickles, but, like, when they're around, I totally want them. So now I'm thinking about it, it's like, yeah, I guess I gotta go stock up. I mean, my fridge is, like, 78% condiments at all times. It's like oh, currently, yeah. I have, like, sweet gherkins, I've got sliced, like, deli pickles i've mm. pickled beets yeah i've got the pickles from that lady that blake knows i think i'm gonna actually have to make some pickled beets because i've been looking to dye my dish towels because they have a bit of a stain on them and i'm just like oh, i feel like i could fix that by just dyeing them pink that's cute yeah i think it'll be nice are they white right now yeah well mostly except for the fucking stain <laughs> <sighs> anyways this has been pickles yeah goodbye <laughs> no, I feel like there's something going on. Um, yeah. Tell us about pickles. I don't know if you got some nice pickle recipes, people. Yeah, like, send interact. in your pickle picks. Pickle. Uh, I didn't work. The pick. No, yeah, there's nothing there. Yeah, Sorry. It's just pickles. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, tell your friends, tell your foes. At rate review subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. That is Pantry Staples Pod. DM us if you're not someone who knows us personally because we're genuinely curious as to who the hell you are. Yeah, person in Virginia. Come on. Or other people like I don't know. Who's to say? If you're not our moms and our best friends. I was trying to tell my mom actually this afternoon about like the stuff where and she's like, just just I'll just listen to it. I'm like, just don't tell me about it. And I was like, thanks, girl. Appreciate that. <laughs> You actually went this whole episode without bringing her up, which I think is a feat that Elsie will appreciate. Thank you. If we edit this out, it'll be massively impressive. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye. We love you. See you later. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.